Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This, he can shave whichever part of his body he wants. Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. Coming at you a day late again, um, I really am getting very slack with this, but here to keep me in order, fresh from his trip to Qatar, and uh, oh, it's been a little while since we've had you on, but a big welcome back to Matt Jones. How are you doing, Matt? Yeah, not too bad, Jed. Well, do you know what? It's been a mixed weekend, hasn't it? And um, there's been some positives to grab onto, and you are right. I've been to Qatar. It wasn't the best performance ever from a football perspective, but a little bit of the rugby has actually been a bit better, which is a bit shocking. <laughs> yeah, who saw that coming? Yeah, um, not me. But there's, there's so much to uh, to get our teeth stuck into before we get into this weekend and the uh, the ongoing financial crisis in, in Welsh rugby or governance crisis, whatever you want to call it. Really keen to get your take on the Warren Gatland appointment, which was what we were talking about last week. Um, go for it. Let's let's hear what, let's yeah, hear what okay. you think about it. Yeah, OK. So so my take on it, Jed, I think in, in lots of ways it's a step backwards, right? We wanted to move on from Warren where we were, I went to the Australian game and um, I, I literally, I thought to myself, once he pulled Alan Wynn off and Ken off, I knew we'd lose that game and we did. And I think Pivak had to go. I just, there just was no option. Um, Gatlin would not have been probably my choice, although mm-hmm. in fairness, and, you know, it's, it's easy to slag off the WRU, especially, in, you know, in the current state, but there weren't that many options. There wasn't, I suppose, a Welsh coach out there sticking his, his hand up. Um, saying, look, I'm I'm ready for this. If you looked at, you know, if you were looking at the domestic scene, I suppose probably Die Young would be the one. And I don't think, you know, he wasn't even in the frame anyway. When you're looking at the other names, I, I you know, I'd have preferred Welshman, if I'm if I'm honest, but there just wasn't that option available. So we had to do something. 
Um, I'm more confident going into the Six Nations with Gatlin in charge than I am um, with with Pivak. Um, but it would have been really nice to really, you know, gone for a whole coaching setup. Now, I don't know about you, Jeb, but I'd have paid as many pennies as it would have taken to bring in Sean Edwards. And I, you know, if, if the French wanted a million quid for it, I'd have paid them, right? And I'd have given him the head coach job and I'd have told him, pick your team. Um, and that's what we should have done um, when Pivak was was, was well, given the, the role. This is it. That that ship has has sailed massively. Yes. And, and do you know what? The frustrating thing with this is, I, I don't know Sean Edwards, but I know that he was deeply upset when he was overlooked for an England coaching role in 2007 yep. and they offered him the Saxons job, you know, essentially an invitational side that doesn't exist now, you know, and they missed the boat there and Wales benefited for, for 12 years while he was in charge. Now, it was just not right that, that we allowed him to go because he is, he's a very loyal bloke, you know, he's he's talks very, very um fondly about how wasps treated him you know during during difficult times and he repaid that and he, he found it you know because uh, he, he did a dual role with wales and wasps in the early days yeah he did and i, and I think that you know to, to to lose him out of the system and it's not like he's gone to into club rugby he's now the defense coach at the best the best side in the world in my opinion and that's they're the best side in the world because they've got him as well and it's um yeah it, it was a real real shocker to lose him in 2019 and he wasn't even asked for more money. All he wanted was a longer contract. It made no sense whatsoever. And like you said, he's such a loyal person. So I would have gone out there and I'd have said, how much do you want, Sean? Or to the French, how much do you want? And try to work out something. Because my worry is that it's very rare for somebody to go back somewhere and be as good as the first time around. I, I can't think, you know, in, in most sports now, I can't think of an occasion where somebody's gone back and really been that much more impressive than they were the first time around. He's only got his history and legacy to lose unfortunately mm. um so i think it's a step backwards but i am far happier seeing him in charge than i am pivak was um I, I i just felt like pivak wasn't even talking like a new zealander by the end he was talking like a welshman and i was just <laughs> like gosh we, we've got plenty of those in in the rugby club scattered across the country but he was making excuses you know in fairness to the new zealanders right they are really miserable and they can win 40 nil but they'll still be miserable about the fact that they lost 40 nil or if they conceded three points pivak was talking like a welshman and that was definitely not what we needed no you're absolutely right and you know again i, I regardless of whether it's um you know whether it's elite sport or not as a human part of me felt for him because i was like we all know this is coming and it's pretty brutal to watch it was like death by a thousand cuts um and what i will say about the w and i think i mentioned this last week is to be fair on this occasion they you know they they got it done pretty quickly they did right so they knew they knew he was going to go after the georgia game regardless of what happened against australia during that time they negotiated with gatlin made sure they secured him and then it was a clean cut on the same day bang wayne's but gone you... thanks for the service here's our plan and it at least looked like they they had they reacted to the situation and dealt with it i was actually quite impressed they reacted so quickly to it um but, like I said, I'm not convinced there was enough foresight because we all knew after the Italian game, oh, right, yeah. that there was, there was an issue there. A fund, well, probably before then. So they should have been planning in, in, in advance and they should have had somebody ready. Gatland was an easy option um, for, for them. So, yes, they acted quickly. But did they get the right person? We'll, we'll see what the Six Nations look like. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the interesting thing with it is that 
normally these changes take place at the end of a World Cup cycle, don't they? Yeah. And you've got two major Northern Hemisphere sides both looking for a head coach at the same time. Now, I would rather be in our situation having secured Gatland and know where we stand. And it's a bloke who knows the setup and will be well well drilled to get get a tune out of those set of players he knows the bulk of them and there's you know and there's some good youngsters in there as well than be sat in England's position where they're still negotiating with Steve Borthwick Steve Borthwick's turning up at press conferences not able to say anything and then you know there you know you mentioned paying a million pounds to Sean Edwards or not it, it might it might even be north of that apparently the figure is if you if they want to release uh, that whole Leicester coaching squad it's going to be yeah. it's going to be two million pounds to secure yeah. them now well. Big but risk, I'd say. It's, it's, a, it's a big risk, but in fairness to the English, it's quite an exciting setup. And, you know, both weeks been around the international scene a long time. And I actually think, you know, and okay, it'd be different with he's English, I get that, and he's going into an English setup, and he wouldn't be the same coming into a Welsh setup. And I don't think the fans would have probably taken to that too well and probably there's a you know and I, I get that but I actually think there's a little bit of excitement involved in terms of, his, of of him stepping up because it'll be interesting now to see what happens because obviously we're, we're seeing the domestic market Will Rowlands now is obviously signed and he's going to France um, how many players will, will Gatlin have to choose from because the, that is a massive concern and was was it last week Jed there was an announcement that there's a six month framework that's been agreed oh, uh, this, like this time last week yeah but but we're not really clear in terms of what that means. And we're losing players. And when, when you think about Gatlin, if he does revert back to that sort of Warren Ball type approach that um, served him so well. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't blame him for that because he's got short turnaround time. He's got to pick the players that he used to use that he thinks have still got mileage. And then he needs to fit people in. So he doesn't have a Jamie Roberts. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see who he slots in. <laughs> Look, it's, it's very easy to come onto a pod like this and, and state the obvious, right? But if you go on, you know, wild cards... I've, I've done that for six years. But, <laughs> <laughs> but people listen to you, Jed. Um, but do you know what? If, if you're looking for some wild cards, you know, nobody's really talked about George North stepping into 12 and trying to play off him. But the other one, I suppose, and this is with regards to the point I was just making about losing mm. players, Max Llewellyn's a big lad. He's a big lad, and I reckon he could develop under Gatland, and Gatland could make him into a sort of a, a Jamie Roberts-type fulcrum in that in that back line. So if you were looking for wild cards, you know, number 12s, because we don't really have any number 12s. In fact, you know, if, if Hadley Parks was still with us, he'd still be our number 112 by a mile. Um, you, you know, wild cards, George North, uh, Max Llewellyn, and one of those two players is moving to England next year because of incompetence at the Welsh Rugby Union. And at the minute, we've probably got three second rows, rows in Wales, regardless of... And I know some people um, keep talking about Alan Wynne-Jones nearly in the past tense in terms of his ability to contribute. I still think he's got a lot to offer, at least for the, for the next season or so. Um, but we've got some, like, you know, three second rows in, in Wales, and one of them is going to be ineligible to play for Wales as of next season, that makes no sense. We cannot afford the 60 cap rule. It's, you know, it would be lovely to have everybody available for every training session, but that's not realistic. And let's be honest about it. He's used Dan Bigger for several years, or we've used Dan Bigger for several years while playing for Northampton. And that hasn't impacted in terms of the way we've played because we had nobody better in Wales. So you, I, for me, if we, if we can't afford something, we've got to be brave and say, we can't afford this and things have to change. Because when you look at, you know, the second row options, now that Jake Ball's gone as well, you know, Scarlett's have got nothing to offer. Um, 
Ospreys, obviously, we, we, we take that too, right? I'm not first on the Cardiff options. I, I don't rate Seb Davis at all, although others on this pod do, and I get mm. that completely. And um, I think the, the Dragon guys are a little bit on the limited side. So, really, except for Will Rowland. So, you've got three second rows, and you're going to lose one of them. That's got to change, Jed. And we, that's got to be part of the, you know, of the looking forward as well. And do you know what? If it means three or four Welsh players playing in England... Um, and earning four, five hundred grand a year as a result of it, that's one and a half million off our wage bill in Wales. Which is about the similar amount of money, I think, doing my back of the fag packet maths, about the similar amount of money that we tend to do for that fourth game. You know, the yeah. fourth game that is the, the only kind of profit mm. bit um, yeah. out, of the, out of the Autumn Internationals. And that's, that's part of the problem, right? We said this before, the, the major advantage to the national side of the 60 cap rule is you get the players throughout the, you know, throughout the course, of the international window. And then you, you know, you don't have them going back to play for Northampton or Bath during the six nations and you get that extra bit of prep time, but you're right. You know, I think it served well to a point, but, but really it was only ever a temporary solution. The, the actual solution was have a flourishing, uh, a flourishing club game in Wales. So players want to play here and how much further away a week from that than even where we were when the 60 capital was bought in yeah. you know it's it is a complete mess and you're, you're right that brings us on to nicely to um i guess that yeah the the governance crisis that, uh, that that continues i mean it just seems to be complete chaos when it comes to this um to this financing of the of the regions because like you said last year uh, sorry last week there was an agreement in principle announced on the monday i think come thursday Dwayne Peel had said yes, but we haven't got any details mm. about it. Uh, come the Friday, Max Llewellyn was, had announced he was he was leaving. Die Young on, over the weekend saying that there's going to be more players leaving from Cardiff. I mean, how long... I know this isn't straightforward and we haven't seen the, the finances of it, but there has to be something put in place because you're right, there's going to be no bloody players left here um, by, the, uh, by the time Christmas rolls around. I thought, I thought last week, right, this is actually going to be it, the, the kind of... They're cracking the whip and getting on with it, but I honestly, I just, I don't know when this is going to end now. And then you've got, you've got Steve Phillips kind of making disastrous TV appearances, and it just, it just gives a really bad <clears throat> impression of the way that the game is is running Wales. And I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's actually an accurate one. The financial envelope that the Welsh Rugby Union work within can be forecasted quite easily. We don't move from 20 internationals in a season to five internationals in a season. There's reasonable consistency, isn't there? There's reasonable consistency in terms of the countries we play during the autumn internationals. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can forecast ahead roughly the revenue from, from each one of, those, one of those games. So you can easily forecast what we can afford moving forward. The big announcement or the initial announcement should have been the framework for the regions with agreement and clarity for them to sign players. And then they could have done that. The secondary announcement should have been the Warren Gatland announcement. Mm. You start at the bottom, and I know regional rugby is not at the bottom of the, of the, of the pyramid in, in Wales, but in terms of the professional game, you start at the bottom, you solidify it, and then you work upwards. Instead, they've gone big on Gatland, which I sort of get, but without that fundamental foundation in place, we are going to really struggle. And if he loses two or three centers well you know our weakest position right there'll be no there'll be nobody left and that is how serious it is in in, in wales at the minute and you you can go through you know dylan lewis is another one isn't it yeah, that yeah, it's rumored. Is, is, is rumored um that he's going we've got two number threes in wales probably um 
So you lose one of those. I'm guessing he falls out. Well, you must fall outside of the, the 60 cap rule. Yes, yeah. So we'll be down to one number three in Wales. It's just, it's not sustainable. So we need further announcements for the Welsh Rugby Union very quickly in terms of what's happening next. Otherwise, I'm telling you, by Christmas, loads of people have signed and they won't have announced them yet. And after Christmas, you'll hear X, Y, and Z players yeah. all moving to, 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 to England and they won't be able to stop it. It'll be horrendous. It is. And I think the thing with this is it's been so prolonged that we sit here, you know, we've been talking about this virtually every week of the season and we're sat here now two weeks before Christmas and it's no, it's no closer to being resolved. Um, also, I just mentioned there as well, Steve Phillips has been on, um, oh. on a, an interview on, on S4C and paints him in a, a very, uh, you know, I, I would say amateurish um, light, to be honest. Um, kind of hitting back at the the criticism of community board members. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm sure we we might have had your take on this before. But what what's your thoughts on on how that on how that should be structured when it comes to the, the professional and the community game? So, firstly, in terms of Steve Phillips, even if you work um, in the public sector or um, just for a private organisation, if you were going to go on the news or on television, um, you would have media training. No organization would allow a spokesperson to go on telly without media training. I'm sure you've done it, Jed. You know, you, you go on these, the training, you, you learn about the islands and so forth and how to, to, to get your message across. He went on SOC and looked like a complete amateur, which is the perception of the Welsh Rugby Union to the people of this country. And I just cannot believe that they did not think about giving him some media training giving some some key points to deliver and deliver well before you do media stuff you you learn your lines mm. a bit like a politician he came across really badly really amateurishly uh, and has done nothing for the credibility of the welsh rugby union in terms of structure i am really clear from my perspective that we need local rugby we need a lo- local um area um leagues um underpinning a uh, a premiership and maybe an, a north-south championship even if if, if necessary uh, but I don't think that's that level is totally necessary um, and I think if you had local rugby local derbies the local clubs would have bigger crowds and it would just support local communities the local game is there for the local community and it's got a really important part to play in Welsh rugby but it does not have a monopoly on how the Welsh professional team runs itself and that's the problem you've got at the minute. You've got a mafiosa-type situation where people are holding guns to people's heads and um, calling the shots. And that's absolutely unacceptable. But that's not playing down their role. You know, we, we should be really proud of what we've got in Wales in terms of our clubs. They do so much good for the local communities. They should be at the heart of the communities. And I think a lot of the clubs still are at the heart of of their local communities, but that's becoming less and less so when we're seeing, you know, games being cancelled. You know, every single week in the lower divisions, games are being cancelled due to lack of lack of players, and that, that has to change. But you could reinvigorate that level of of, of rugby in Wales by cr- increasing the number of local derbies, making it really local, really important to those local communities. Remove the threat of relegation, so people aren't paying ten mm. quid extra 
than the club down the road. But that's what you've got at the minute. You've got local clubs giving somebody extra tenner to keep them so he doesn't go down the road to play for the for the ne- next next club up the road. That's a ridiculous situation where we're struggling so, so badly from a fin- financial perspective. Let the community game run itself and self-fund itself and then pull the, pull the professional side to one side and let it flourish. But unfortunately, that's not what we're seeing. Yayan Evans was probably my hero growing up. Um, and he still is my hero from a, from a rugby perspective. Um, I just really hope he can do something. Because at the moment, the, the first couple of, I suppose, um, press conferences and stuff that he's done, I don't think it's been that impressive. There's been some mixed, mixed messages coming from mm-hmm. him. And is he the, a strong enough character? I hope he is. And I hope he can galvanise people. But I think plenty of people have taken that role. I've said that they couldn't shift anything because the power of the, those community clubs. And we've got to change that. Yeah, and also, if memory serves me correctly, when we go back to whenever it was, 2019 or 2020, when he stood first time around, I seem to remember there being, you know, he was kind of standing on a pretty pro community game ticket. You know, mm. that was kind of a big part. And, and whether or not that's changed or whether or not he, you know, he kind of seemed a bit more open in the Scrum 5 interview to, to having a degree of independence. But you're right, you know, it's it, can you get those things, can you get those things done and changed? And um, it's a very, very difficult thing to, to call. But these are, the, these are the hard things that have to be, that have to be done now because otherwise... The, the club and by the club game, I mean the professional club game is going to just slide and slide until there's just there is no feasibility of it flourishing whatsoever. Well, there were bits in the press even this week about moving to two regions and things like that, and I think that would yeah. be the death of of Welsh rugby because no Scarlet fan will go to the Ospreys and no Ospreys fan would go to the Scarlets, and the same with the Blues. Um, well, it's, and, it's and, also and like, the have, have we have we not seen this like twenty years ago? Do we not remember the the chaos that happened? And to then go, oh well, it's all right then. You know, everyone will support Eastwell, and that's even less. That's even you know even more of a dog's dinner than we've had first time around. I don't think any of us um, would argue that the the four region system is perfect from a from a kind of you know a a, a, a rivalry point of view, um, or you know that kind of that tribalism that was great about about Welsh club rugby. But we're in a professional era now, so we we can't go back to that. But we have had twenty years of this now. And to just then go right, well, well, we'll roll it down to two. How long before that two is one? You know, yeah. it just it just becomes um, that that's not a way that's not a way of of growing that of growing the game at all. What I would be keen uh, to get your thoughts on, and we're going to take a very quick break before we do this. But um, it's not only Wales that's going through this kind of existential club crisis. A very similar thing is happening uh, in England as well, which I think we've sometimes looked across the Severn Bridge and. Um, you know, looked over in envy at the at the club scene there, but it's going through a very, very um, turbulent and tricky time at the moment. And when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about some rugby as well, because we have had some this weekend. Um, so uh, we'll be getting uh, Matt's take on the opening round of, uh, of the European Games as well. So all of that is coming up after this very, very quick break. Right, Matt, time then to talk about uh, the, yeah, well, weirdly, the, the club game in England. Because, again, I, I think this, this may have, um, this interview kind of may have gone out just before uh, just before we came on air and I had a quick chance to, to read it. But Simon Massey-Taylor, who's the, the head honcho of Premiership Rugby, um, 
in kind of a stark contrast to um, to Steve Phillips, gave quite a polished um, a polished interview and laid out plans for for kind of a relaunch of Premiership rugby in the twenty four twenty five season. And amongst those uh, those plans are a rejuvenated championship and. All of his predecessors had been very, very quick to distance themselves from, um, from kind of a the the, the RFU Championship. Also talked about the game, um, kind of cross marketing. So the RFU and the and the clubs um, actually working together to grow the sport rather than acting in acting in silos. And I think that that extended to the community game as well. Um, and it just kind of struck me that on the day that we're looking at our CEO, the Welsh Rugby Union CEO, and and saying it was it was very very amateurish. You've got someone delivering a very kind of progressive, polished uh, approach to the um, to the English media. Um, I wonder though, and again, this might just be my head whirring. If you want a, a you know a a reinvigorated championship in England, right? When you've just seen a load of sides go pop um, in the Premiership, how realistic is that? And if so, you know, if you're able to go and get investment, could there be a role? And I say this, I've said this on here a number of times. Could there be a role for for the Welsh sides to play within that? If you're trying to get a two tiered, you know, overall twenty team structure, do you actually think, do you think there could be a there could be a route there for the um for the Welsh sides? I think with the first point is the the weakness of the championship compared to the Premiership, and that's mm. always that's been a historical issue for them. I think we all remember when you know London Welsh went up and just yeah. got pummeled every single week. So that's always been a weakness. The only teams that have really been able to make the step are ones with big money behind them. Um, others have always struggled with our steps. So reinvigorating the English Championship, I think, would be a really good idea. But how would you do that, right? With just you know the same basically same teams playing in the same ground um, as before, which is where your argument, I think, comes in. Because if you want to reinvigorate something, you've got to give it new energy. Mm. And it's got to be different. Um, a little bit of rebranding is really not going to make any you know, difference because they're going to have the same sort of partners in, 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 in terms of you know, showing the games and everything like that. And yeah, I'm sure they can tweak things a little bit, maybe follow the football approach of Monday night, you know, Monday night rugby or mm. Tuesday night rugby. And you know, I think things like that make sense. And I've always been surprised why they haven't tried something like Tuesday night rugby um, as a way of grabbing a market that, that wasn't there before. But to reinvigorate something, it's got to be new and fresh. And I think that's where the option of the Welsh clubs would be really interesting because as much as we lambast the situation, I think, although maybe they'd struggle a little bit, and my worry is they'd all end up in the championship rather than the yeah. premiership, but, but maybe, maybe not. It might be being a bit harsh here. But it would give clubs you know, new games, um, to attend, I think you know the West Country in particular would love it. You know, and, and from our perspective, you get loads of Gloucester fans coming down for for league matches, Bath, Bristol. Um, it, I think it would be great. I think the English are being forced into this, but in fairness to them, they're acting reasonably quickly. I don't think you know if if Wasps and Worcester hadn't gone bust, probably they wouldn't be making these noises. Possibly. Um, but I think we offer them something that they haven't got at the moment, whether or not they need that, whether or not the clubs feel they need it. Because obviously, if you bring four Welsh clubs into their system, that's four less places mm. for their, for, um, from, from their own domestic perspective. But I think we would offer something a little bit different if they're looking to reinvigorate. Otherwise, 
it's just a branding exercise. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure if that's what they're looking for. So what are your thoughts, Jed? Well, I think the thing is, on paper, it looks great to turn around and say, we want promotion and relegation, and we want it to be a, a really competitive league. Because, again, there is something. I, I think it's because in the, you know, in the UK, football is, is the dominant sport, and it really is something of a freak that you have a 92 club pyramid system in um in football it's you know no other no other professional football um uh, leagues in the world are able to operate like that and and again if you look at the finances of a lot of these clubs really they can't in the in the english system as well but there is a romanticism i think about this kind of being able to to go up the pyramid and and i think that appeals to that appeals to kind of the um the english and welsh sports fan so i can see why he's kind of kind of keen to look at that but without that funding you know where's that where's that money coming from to reinvigorate it yes you're going to slash kind of budgets in the in the premiership and keep it more sustainable but realistically you know is who's going to who's going to fund richmond's you know richmond's uh plight back to the premiership or maybe that's a bad example because actually there might be there might be the wealth somewhere you know within um within london to do that but we've seen the benefactor model and it doesn't work so you kind of need it's going to need to be external money coming in to to kind of really reinvigorate that and can you do that for for an addition for basically an additional 10 sides really or let's say eight if you take worcester and wasps out of the equation and people were to come in there you're, you're really looking at yeah a kind of eight sides and are we being a bit welsh biased as well you know if we were sat here talking about um I don't know, London Irish and mm. um, Leicester and Northampton and so forth. Why would they want the Welsh clubs compared to maybe, you know, giving the Irish a really good offer and saying, come over, bring mm. your talented players over and we're creating a sort of a, an Anglo-Irish league. You know, is that us being a little bit biased um, in terms of our thinking? Or, P- you know, maybe they, maybe they only need two and they can ask the Scots to come and join as well. And, you know, if anybody's got bargaining power... It's them. And if I was there, I'd be sat there going to all the unions, including the South Africans, and going to them, do you know what, guys? You've, you've come up here. You've had a taste of, of European rugby. Is it working for you? We can offer you the next level. And, I, I, you know, I, I just think maybe there's a little bit of um, Welsh romance involved with that because um, I'd love it. But I think probably most Northampton fans would probably prefer to watch Leinster, Munster, one of the South African teams than maybe the Dragons or the Scarlet? Well, yeah, I think you've hit on an interesting point. And the romanticism bit is, you know, is something I am notoriously guilty of uh, of doing. But at the same time, I think if you look at the... This brings us kind of nicely onto the European Cup this weekend. Now, I don't know about you, but this feels like the most low-key launch of a, of a European season ever. And, you know, I think I include the, the COVID seasons in that. It is it's kind of really gone under the radar and it almost feels like like the the governing bodies are a little bit ashamed to kind of go oh, South Africans are here as well it's all it's kind of European but it's not is it a northern southern hemisphere thing it just feels like a very botched thing and, and Anton Dupont said it was very very critical um prior to the weekend in saying you know that this is a this this tournament is you know is not what it was and it's not you know it's not the Heineken Cup that we remember how, how you know how often have you ever had a and I you know I know this from kind of working in the industry people romanticize about the era when it was named after a sponsor you know and that's because it was it had a clear identity it was new it was exciting 
there was a you know there was this brilliant um, this brilliant opportunity to go and watch games in Europe in a in a really thriving competition, and it's not that anymore. I rem- do you know what? I remember trips to Nottingham to watch the Scarlets and mm. Reading to watch Scarlets. I'd get a bus from Blue Street to Carmarthen, you know, and we'd go all the way up. To- I-, I remember those days, and they were absolutely fantastic days. But I, th- I think they've been killed off by several different elements. Like the first one is the the media side of things, because obviously the access isn't there to, to all the games um, anymore. Um, because everybody's now sort of, you know, more and more used to, you know, sport on telly and maybe mm. too much of it in some ways, a little bit like um, Amazon taking over the Autumn Internationals. That's a worry. Now, you know, I've, I've got Amazon. I could watch the game games. But for those without Amazon, you're just disenfranchising people. Mm. So I think, I think that's an issue. The fact that people have to explain to you about five times how the system works in Man, terms I've of... Got, I've still got no idea. I, I yeah, look every, the, the every eight time. tools, it yeah. makes no sense. Whereas before you had those, you know, everybody understood. Group of four, home and away, home and, you know, and you'd, you'd start and finish with the same team. Everybody understood the system, right? So when you have to explain to people what the system is, it means the system's not right. It's the same with, you know, when, you know, you're creating a document, you always just want to put everything on one page because once you go into the second page, mm. you've lost half your, half your audience. And that then fits in as well with the whole European structure. So for me, the club game should come first and you should have, you know, the whole club season in terms of the domestic leagues. Then, depending on what that means in terms of numbers, you'd either go into the, the European Cup or the Six Nations and then finish off with European Cup or Six Nations. Have them in blocks so people understand what competition you're in and you know how well your club's doing. Because otherwise, what happens is you have a couple of games here, you wait a bit, you forget how you've done or get confused and think, oh, are we, are we playing Leinster in that competition or this competition? So fundamentally, this is people who, you know, the people like the Welsh Rugby Union who can't sit around a table with their counterparts in England and France and just create one simple European structure. And we know there's a lot of, you know, push from a, a French perspective. It has to fit in with what they need from a domestic perspective. But we all need to think about how can we make this work? And again, going back to the, you know, the the Tuesday night stuff. Do you know, you, you, we may need to just reinvigorate things from a European perspective and play them all on a, I don't know, a Friday night and this, or a, what, what, whatever, just to make them a bit different and, and, and stand out. But I think the media coverage is a massive issue. Look at cricket. You know, 30 years ago, people, people in Wales could tell you the whole Glamorgan team, mm-hmm. right? Unless you're a cricket buff, I don't think hardly anyone could name somebody oh, playing yeah. for Glamorgan yeah. right now. That's how bad it is. And my worry is that the Amazon move is the first step towards that from an international perspective, not just from a club game perspective. Yeah, I, I completely, um, again, I've you know, looked at this in, in loads of detail across, uh, across the board. And as much as everyone tries to tell you that, you know, that, that TV is dying, it's not. You know, some variety of TV will always exist. And free-to-air broadcasting, you know, they, that... Uh, the, the England football match on um, on Saturday night. I don't know what it's done, but it will it will be north of twenty million viewers. Right, you do not get that audience anywhere other than in live sport. Now, I'm not saying that the Heineken Cup's going to do that, but there is a reason why um, why the Heineken Cup games are now back on ITV. There is a reason why Premiership Rugby have gone back to ITV. It is to get a casual audience on it. Somebody might watch a Six Nations game and really like. Yeah. you know buy into rugby and go oh what's this oh it's, it's like the champions league but it's for rugby and 
who is it? Oh, it's uh, it's it's Leinster versus it's Leinster versus Racing. You know, okay, that's the team from Paris, isn't it? Yeah, I'll give that a go. And you watch it, and they go, bloody hell, that was brilliant. And it's just you, you can't grow the game when it's behind a paywall because you are starting from a much smaller base. What I will say about Amazon is because it's not just a subscription TV channel. There is there is a big audience to go through. So mm-hmm. I, I think, for example, the number of Amazon Prime subscribers in the UK is higher than than that of Sky and much higher than that of Sky Sports. So, it, but you but you're absolutely right. There is there is a danger behind it. And what I think Amazon did well actually is that the Awesome Internationals have always been a very disparate thing. You know, so Wales have got their four games, which are on which were historically on BBC Wales. Uh, sorry, we're on BBC, and then England's game were on Sky. And then Ireland in this country would end up somewhere, depending on what had happened. You know, it would be it would be very very fragmented. Whereas actually, I found myself this time watching a game and then going, "Oh, brilliant! I've got I've got an evening. The kids are in bed. I'm going to watch the France game." And I would never have done that before. I wouldn't have been able to tell you wherever it was on. So I think that what they have done quite well is build a, a bit more of an identity about the Autumn Nations series. You know, it feels a bit more like a thing than it than it did before. Um, but we need to see more of that, you know. And and for me, the um, what was I listening to earlier? The uh, the Times Rugby podcast, and um, I think it was Owen Slot on there saying, "You've got to strip back the number of t- sides in it. There's too many teams yeah. in it. If you stripped it back to four pools of four, and it becomes proper elite, yeah, um, that becomes and and you know, none of our none of the Welsh sides are likely to feature in it for a little while. Um, but that's you know, then so be it. Then it also gives you that real reason to take the to take the the Challenge Cup seriously, too. You know, there's there's a real. I, I just think it's become too bloated and and complicated. Whereas, in fact, that was my my only criticism with the original Heineken Cup was, it was a bit complicated for a neutral fan. You know, to look at it and go, right, which of these second place teams going through? Just that, just have the top two. Like, make what, life what simple. was it? Was it five pools of four? If I remember something like that. <laughs> five and pools of four. The top. The top. Team so went through one, or something top, like that. Top, top one went through, top one went through, and then it was the best placed second. It, like it, it must, yeah, it must have been yeah. six pools of four, yeah. was it? But yeah. it must have been somebody from the Welsh Rugby Union who must have thought that one up. <laughs> but the, the shame on this week, you know, this weekend, the crowds, and I know it was bitterly cold, right? Bitterly cold. But down with us in Clashley, what four and a half thousand, maybe it was a really poor crowd. I think Cardiff had about the same. Yeah. Um, Osprey didn't have a great crowd, and I absolutely it was, it was accept five thousand four. Was it right? Yeah. And I absolutely accept it was a really, you know, it, it was a really cold weekend, right? But one of the issues we've got with our domestic structure is you play the same teams every year, yeah, and it gets quite boring. It does, to, you know. It's oh, it's Ulster again, or oh, it's Glasgow again. Well, I'll put it this we, way. This this weekend, and I always I always refer to this on this as like my mother-in-law test, trying to explain to my mother-in-law what mad rugby I'm watching this weekend. Now, in the past two the past two weekends, we have or in the past three weekends, the Dragons have played uh, the Lions twice, a South African side once in the domestic <laughs> in the domestic tournament, and once in the European tournament. This makes no sense to anyone. And you wonder why people don't turn up, yeah. you know, because, you know, Bayonne, Breve, Leicester, you know, these are, you know, clubs that you don't see every single week mm. in, in South Wales. It should be an amazing opportunity to see, see players you don't normally, you know, come across. But the lack of interest, I think, just is a total reflection on the lack of structure that we've got. And if you don't have a sensible structure, you can't sell it. No, even the best PR companies in the world would struggle to sell 
the the, the European rugby product mm. because even diehard fans cannot explain to you what the product is. That's how confusing it is. Yeah, exactly. And it was set, you know, the, the real tipping point was whenever that civil war was kind of 2012, 2013. And you're right, the French and the premiership sides kind of held all the cards. Now, some of those were legitimate concerns. Was it a joke that Welsh sides were guaranteed entry into mm. it just because they were Welsh? I think it is. But mm. it swung, the balance swung way too far in favour of the of the French and English sides, which is why, you know, you, you saw them go on a period of dominance. Obviously, the Irish could compete because... They're just so much better funded, and and it's, sorry, it's not just down to funding. I, it sounds like that's a bad thing, but they recognise that if they invest heavily in the in those sides, they can afford to take the Pro Twelve, Pro Fourteen, URC, whatever it's called at that point. They can send out second strings and hone everything towards the towards the Heineken Cup, and it's and it you know and it works really really well for them. Um, but you're right; it's just created a really messy product that. Um, it's full of dead rubbers. It's complicated, and yeah, it just need, it needs complete stripping back to me. And my worry for this season is now that um, some of the teams, especially at challenge level, um, have lost their first games, and you know playing second string teams uh, players. My my worry is that it could become a little bit embarrassing this this season in terms of um, European rugby because teams will be putting once once they're out or they're not committed. And we've we've kind of seen that already this weekend. Um, it's going to be a really embarrassing tournament. We won't probably get decent rugby until about quarterfinals if we, if you know, if we're not um, careful. So um, it's a it's it's a massive worry um, from that perspective. But you don't hear anything from the Welsh Rugby Union about the fact that they're trying to interact with their counterparts on improving things. That's I've never you know I haven't seen a statement saying we are looking into the structure of mm. the European. Um, club scene I just I think it's too much for them I don't think they have the capability well they obviously haven't got the capability to deal with what we got on a domestic front but um, it's it's shambolic and it's embarrassing yeah it is should we talk about the uh, the on the pitch um, yeah go on what do you want to go with first well let's go I tell you what the the one game I haven't seen actually uh, is the Scarlets and you're probably the the most well qualified uh, out of the two of us to do that given that you're a Scarlets fan so do you know I haven't seen it (laughs) You know what? Shall I start with the positives? Yeah. Um, cool. Because look, let's let's grab the positives. Thirty uh, first of all, thirty-nine-seven win. Right? It was a typical Scarlet's kind of game. Ball being thrown about. It was actually quite enjoyable to watch. As cold as it was down there, it was enjoyable mm. to watch. Um, Scarlet's weren't under considerable pre- pressure, so I don't think anybody came out of the game looking bad from a from a Scarlet's perspe- perspective. Costello ran the show. McNichol made some trademark runs. The second rows were solid. Will Griff John had his best game in the Scar- for the Scarlets. I, I haven't been impressed with Will Griff since he joined the Scarlets. Um, I was expecting a lot more. Mm. Um, but then he wasn't really under, under significant pressure. The, the Bayonne team only had, I think it was the fullback, was the only player who'd played um, the weekend before Bogada, I think, Bogado, I think his name was. So he was the only one in the lineup for their domestic um, game the, the week before. There were some nice tries. Ryan Combia scored the first try. Great hands from Costello. Went through the three quarters. Dane Blacker, who's definitely the number one scrum half in the Scarlets now, he backed up really well. He scored the second try. Again, it was, you know, hit him him backing up again on the shoulder. Um, it's, it's a shame. Gareth Davis has fallen back a lot over the last maybe two two, two, two seasons. And I don't think Dane Black has really had the opportunities that he probably deserves with the Scarlet. And it was a shame. I don't think 
he made an appearance for Wales during the 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 autumn. I don't think. Yeah, if he and, did, it might have been you know, yeah, a I, minute or two, wasn't it? I, I've got a feeling he didn't, and mm. I think that's a, that's a um, a real shame. Sam Lucy scored a reasonable try, close in, dived over. Blade Thompson, who I absolutely dislike. Um, Blade Thompson's made a career out of you know just walking around the the the, the pitch. He, he scored a try where the pack was really dominant, and then Steph Evans had a had a good try at the end. So do you know what? Looking at the game, it was in, I, you know I enjoyed the game. I think people generally enjoyed the game. It was good, um, but let's not kid ourselves. That was a reserve French side who are now out of the tournament who probably weren't that committed to the game in the first place, didn't really pressurise our teams, our, our team. Um, the Scarlets, uh, unfortunately, you know, I've been a season ticket holder with Scarlets for over 30 years. Um, and um, they've always been amateurish in, in that period of time. There are some things from a community perspective they do well. They respect Welsh, uh, you know, West Wales culture and the language. They really do, actually. And I'd hmm. take my hat off to them with regards to that. I think that's really important. And it was one of the premises why they could stand alone, if you remember, uh, was that sort of like Welsh culture element in terms of West Wales. Um, but the way the club is run is is just absolutely amateurish. It's jobs for the boys. Um, we can't use this game to paper over the cracks. I think Dwayne Peel's got credit in the bank with the fans. I don't think you'll meet, meet many Scarlet's fans who don't want Dwayne to do mm. well. He's a local guy. He's you know he's given hours um, to to the club over the years as, as 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 a player. We all want him to succeed, but the lack of leadership and this isn't just this season. You've got you know. Ken Owens, right? If Ken Owens isn't playing and he didn't, um, it was um, Ryan Elias who started um, this weekend. If Ken Owens isn't playing, there's no leadership there, right? Foxy as captain, he's no leader. He doesn't, you know, he's not in the ref's face. He's not challenging decisions that you'd expect the, the captain to do. We've never replaced John Barkley. John Barkley was an exceptional back rower, but he was also an exceptional leader and he got West Wales better than most Welshmen would get West Wales. He absolutely, you know, he used it by the end. Um, we I remember, haven't replaced um, I remember him. seeing a brilliant video clip um, of all of the uh, of Scarlet's fans singing Flower of Scotland ahead of one of the big European games during that during that cup run. And, um, you, you know, you could tell how it was It was reciprocated. You're right. He, I think he loved playing for the Scarlet's and, and yep. got it. And... Um, and you know it's a, it's a loyal fan base that, that throws it back at you but, in in, but in Jed, abundance we, if you do. We we haven't you know who have the Scarlet signed in what the last three four years? Okay, Calamifoni, right? Calamifoni yeah. has been a success, right? Except for Calamifoni, name me a Scarlet player who's been signed in the last three or four years. That other you know that Premier English Premiership clubs would be like, oh, I wish we'd assigned him rather than the Scarlet. I don't think there, you know, I don't think there is anyone that really stands out. You know, you've got some of the aging boys who've been around a long time. You know, in fairness, Ken gives hundred percent mm. every single game. We've got some good youngsters, like we always will probably have coming through. People like you know, Combier, Rogers. You know, good. You know, fast, pacey wingers. Um, the some of the younger props look like there may be some potential in 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 them as them as well. But the the lack of talent. That you know that's been brought through in the last maybe four or five years is, is is scary really, and I think it's just been the wrong kind of investment. If you go back maybe I don't know, twenty years when Phil Davis was there and we did that you know the move from Stradley Park to Parker Scarlet, which in my eyes was a horrendous decision because what they should have done is slowly built up Stradley Park, you know what one one side at a time and not crippled us financially. And during that period, 
you know, Phil Davis should have been a bit like Die Young in Cardiff. Mm. He should have had a 20-year legacy, if not more, because he's the best coach that's come out of West Wales in the last 20, 30 years. But he wasn't given a chance because they, they deprived him of support because they were obviously investing in, in the new stadium, which was totally the wrong way of, way of doing it. We could have had our Parker Scarlets at Stradley Park, but built up over years and, and, and built it up. And it just feels over the last few years, years, it's not been quite the same from a financial perspective, but we've, we've brought in poor players. People like Blake Thompson, I am sorry, that guy's done an art form out of walking, right? And, and sometimes you just want to go to him, go, just run a bit, mate, just run a bit. Um, and he actually looks reasonably good on TV because he'd grab the ball and he'd do a little darting run and everybody's like, oh, you know, no, not at all. I can't, can't, can't stand the guy. But again, coming back to the Dwayne Peel point, he's got credit in the bank, but we need to support him. Mm-hmm. And he just feels like his coaching setup is not right. So, you know, Ben Frank's forwards coach, I get rid of him. I bring in somebody like Danny Wilson. So although Danny Wilson isn't Welsh, he gets West Wales. Yeah. Um, oh, he's you know, been involved in the Welsh setup for so long, hasn't he? You know, with under twenties and Cardiff and uh, various other various other roles, he, he gets it. He absolutely gets it, and he's married into a West Wales family, so you know he, he gets credit from the from the Turks as a, as a, as a result of that. Then you got Lee Blackett, you know, from a you know he's the he's the sort of like backs coach. Mm. I I get rid of him. I'd probably bring in bring back some. That's a that's a big call though, Matt, isn't it? You know, he's I mean he's only only been only had his feet under the table a, a matter of weeks. Do you know what, Jed? You've got to sometimes make big calls, and you've got to get people around Dwayne, Dwayne who understand. West Wales rugby, right? That's why I bring Mark Jones back. Um, he's, he's been away. He's gained loads of experience in different countries. Bring him back. And actually, the, the last bit I would say is the, um, the conditioning side of things. So Nigel Ashley-Jones, the head of conditioning. There's a fundamental issue in the Scarlets about the fact we get so many injuries. It just doesn't seem right somehow. And then why are we not questioning how we're preparing these 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 players because the the injury list is always way worse in the skies and this is not a new thing i get that but those guys around Dwayne have not fixed it so i want to give Dwayne time but i would love to support him by giving him better backroom backroom team to to drive the skies forward because it just does not feel like we've got the right mix at the minute and when it comes to recruitment we need to look at how we're bringing people through so we're, we're finding you know your, your 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 next sort of like leaders because at the minute we are massively missing leaders um in in that team and it's, it's it's frightening when when ken goes i the gap he'll leave behind is just absolutely massive and that's that's not right for any club to have one player as like your your leader your fulcrum um we something needs to change on that front. So yes, especially when he's when he's you know what what is Ken thirty four thirty five now? You know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. And he, he will always give a hundred percent, always. But I just think the setup's not right. We support Dwayne. We give him the opportunity that he needs to show what he can do. Um, but it's just I, I just think fundamentally something has to change. So I'm sorry for finishing on a negative there, right? But the game itself was really enjoyable. Great result. But we've got to keep it context of where we are in terms of our season, which has been horrendous. While we're talking about experience, uh, not too far down the road um, in Swansea, as you said, on a bitterly cold Sunday night in front of five and a half thousand people, uh, a really experienced Osprey side took to the field. It was a bit of a drab game, if I'm honest, um, lit up mainly by two horrendous kits from either side. Um, but it was a really weird game because I really felt that was that was there for the taking for the Ospreys. Um, I, I really did. And 
the set piece, which is so often the downfall of all the Welsh sides, was really, really strong. Nicky Smith had a superb game. You know, you know, Joe Hayes is a you know is a fledgling prop, but he's an England international, and um, and Nicky Smith had him on toast all all game. And um, you know, to, to to do it your way and start with a few positives, I would say that 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 type five looked good in terms of power and in terms of set piece, and I think that will probably be the basis of you know that a lot of that will be the basis of Wales's. Um, of Wales' Six Nations uh, front five, um, but it just it just felt like an like an opportunity missed. Really, Leicester didn't put out you know a full fully strength um, side, and it's yeah it's disappointing because that that Osprey squad really is you know is, in my opinion it's the strongest in Wales, and they've only got one win all season to show for it, and it's um, starting to become a bit you know a, a bit of an all too familiar story. You know, kind of narrow defeats when, in games they should be winning. I think. But you know, they what did they have something like nine players coming back, right? Leicester yeah. and loads of youngsters playing. You said, you know, you, you looked at two teams, so, oh, the experience against the youngsters, they'll 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 you know, this will be fine. First minute of the game, Alwyn Jones gives away a penalty. Um, first half, scrum was really really strong. I absolutely agree with you, Jed. I think Nicky Smith was one of their best forwards, first half, but being really critical about marginal gains, right? Mm. Nicky Smith was winning the battle in the scrum, right? Their, 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 their prop, Joe Hayes, was really struggling. He'd had a final warning from the ref. 27 minutes into that first half, there was a scrum. That was the point to kill him off. And there'd have been a yellow card, but it went the other way. Now, don't get me wrong, he did have a yellow card, didn't he, 10 minutes later? But when we're talking about marginal gains, if he'd have had that yellow card and on the 27th minute, they'd have had the full 10 minutes of him in the sin bin to drive through the power they had in the forwards. Instead, they had about three or four minutes. Mm. Leicester, when in half-time, rejuvenated themselves. They started, in my eyes, bullying the Ospreys in the second half in terms of strategy. Maybe not in terms of physicality, but, but, well, maybe a little bit of physicality as well. But in terms of strategy, you know, Keelan Giles, that um, Harry Potter try, yeah. they they obviously they knew what was going on because he missed one before that, if you remember, right? Yeah, he had he had a rough night under the high ball. Yeah, but they target him. Mm. That's maturity, isn't it? And I know yeah, you know Jack, Jack Walsh is a young outside half, but there was plenty of caps in that. Osprey's team to to support him. That was real maturity from the Leicester youngsters. They targeted Keelan Giles. It worked. They got got the the, the try from from it. The issue for me with the Ospreys is that that backline, like Joe Hawkins, when he played against Australia, I actually thought he did quite well, and he did a few oh, bit did. Yeah. Ippy moves and things like that. But that Osprey's backline does not move. It's like I don't know. It's somehow it's a bit like they'll run into a brick wall, right? And if that doesn't work, they'll run into the brick wall again. And then if that doesn't work, they're running to the brick wall again. And that backline, it just it's it's not functioning. And we were talking earlier on on the pod in terms of George North as a centre. You know, they're obviously playing him as a as a centre, but they're not utilising him. And um, before he went off, I I didn't see, I, you might have seen him, I didn't see him. Um, and the, the same with Hawkins. They you know we we didn't they didn't do anything to get the ball out to to Giles or Cuthbert. You know, I I didn't see Cuthbert until the second half. And he did a few of those runs. Reese Webb got caught pinged for offside, didn't he? Then he threw that he threw the forward pass in the first half. It was really frustrating. That game was there for the taking. And I think Leicester gifted them an opportunity. And a little bit. I actually I was wondering if there was a bit of a legacy thing there with Borthwick. Was he playing those youngsters because he knew he was leaving? And he just wanted to give them 
an opportunity. I, think, I, I, think, I, I don't I know. Maybe that's I think, a bit, I think he's that's too, too much, much romance. Of a, I think he's yeah. too much of a pro for that. I think he's, um, you know, yes, I'm, I'm fairly certain he'll be leaving. Uh, but I also think he's of that ilk that he will just crack on with the next game. And I think, and who was it? Someone mentioned, uh, I can't remember if, if this again was, was I heard on another pod, but he was, you know, he's down on the touchline. He, he wasn't phoning that performance in Steve Borthwick, mm. you know, he's fully invested in it. And to be honest, I think he just probably has the, the faith, like you say, he had the faith in those youngsters to be able to do it. I mean, Atkinson is a really talented outside half. Um, saw him a couple of times playing for Wasps last season and, and he's got, you know he's got a lot in his locker, and you're right. That showed a great deal of maturity, and 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 that really is is what the Ospreys were missing. But to go to the back line, you, you're right, and I think it's a real it's a real shame because Hawkins, I I really think, and if you you know if you watch him play for the under twenties, I know it's a big step up, but you're right. You watch him play in that game against Australia, the guy has real real touches of class about him, and and you just want to be able to to set it up and I don't want to come down harshly on Walsh particularly because again he's a, you know, he's a young player still learning yeah. his, his trade but you feel like there is that lack of uh, you know that lack of um, that lack of experience and match guile at, at 10 yeah. um, and obviously Anscombe's out out for a while now as well and is probably leaving the club at the end of the season too so it's um, it's going to be it's going to be a tricky one for them but yeah they, they've just not fired really all season and you know when you compare that game to the the Cardiff game. I really enjoyed the Cardiff game. Mm. And I tend to enjoy watching Cardiff play because, you know, you've got somebody like Thomas Young, who I think is fantastic. Mm. Um, they'll throw the ball about a bit. And then you watch Ospreys and you just think, oh, this is just miserable. But if you were picking an, a Wales team tomorrow, I certainly would probably be dipping my toe in, into the Osprey camp far mm. more than I would the, the Cardiff camp. Even, you know, because you go for bulk and stuff like that, and, and I get that. But the Cardiff game was just far more enjoyable to watch. It was. Let's let's talk about that now. I think, um, yeah, they've they've certainly hit it. It all seems, post, post that egg gate or whatever it was called, um, a, a few months back, I think fair play to Dai Young, because everything that's going on, he seems to have created a bit of a siege mentality there and... Um, yes, again, I think you could look at how much Breve were up for that game, but you can only beat what's in front of you, and it's not one result in isolation. They've been in they've been in pretty decent nick for the last um, for the last few weeks. So I think for the first time, you're starting to see them build a bit, and and hopefully they're able to they're able to carry on with that because there were some really good individual performances in there, and again, it's just a lot more. It was a lot more fluid, and I think a lot more ambitious than than perhaps we saw, um, you know, than than the style of play that the Ospreys are playing. But you know, even you know, first half those two Christian Dacey tries, they were sort of you know, from the training ground they mm. practiced that, and I just thought, yes, they're making that work. But they were also able to throw things out, you know, the ball out. I thought Ray Lilo did really well def- defensively from a, you know from a from a centre perspective. But you contrast them to the Ospreys, where you know, first half Ospreys were on top in terms of the scrum, right? Came out second half and all of a sudden lesser controlling everything. The second half performance in, with the, with Cardiff was probably not as strong as the first half. But first few minutes, he brings on Faletau. Um There was a scrum. Faletau gets the ball. Lloyd Williams puts the kick in. Nearly a try for Josh Adams. So they started brightly the second half to try and keep the momentum going. Whereas, you know, you had a totally different contrasting position um, with, with, with the Ospreys. I thought Turnbull played well. Um, I think he always puts a shift in um, when, when, he, when, when he's playing. Um, there's a lot of 
I suppose, um, fanfare around Jared Evans. I, I might be a bit biased, but I'd still always go Costello before Jared Evans. But I think there's a fair argument to say that he, he's he's producing. I thought that ball he threw for the Josh Adams try in the first half was it, was, it looked was, was fantastic on telly fantastic. as well, didn't it? Because Josh Adams is out of shot, and you yeah. just see the ball floating, and he hit it at full speed, and 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 that's what he, you know. I I love watching Jared Evans play, but watching him objectively. The criticism is always around the game management, yes. which is the area that you, you, you know you would say Costello has more, um, you know, is, is a bit more uh, robust in. Um, but when it, when Jared is playing like that, it's just it's just so much fun to watch. And when he spots those gaps, and he's he's like, I've said this before. There's almost like something a bit, a bit of the amateur era about him. Do you know the yes. way he kind of runs and like, he yeah, totally. In, in, a, in the most wonderful style. way, a bit of seventy yeah. swagger about him. So I, I will always love watching him play. But um, but do you do you think Gatland would fancy him? I I don't. I, no. I think you know he was he was knocking around the the fringes for 2019, and I seem to remember the like a warm up game against Ireland before the squad was named, and and Jared went out with that bit of swagger and. Mm. Um, and I just don't think I don't, I don't think he necessarily fits Gatlin's kind of structured structured way that he wants to um, that he'll want to put across the side. But Anscombe is going to be out for the Six Nations, right? Yeah. So who do you think Gatlin will go with? If he was picking three outs and halves for the Six mm. Nations, who would you go with? Well, or who would big, he go with? I think it'll be bigger. I think it'll yeah. be Costello. I think there'll be mm. there'll be two in there. I mean, after that, who knows? Maybe Jarrah's got a shout. I don't see him going back to Priestland, to be honest. Um, mm. I think that, you know, obviously Pivak liked Priestland, um, but I thought I thought selecting him for the Six Nations was, you know, was uh, sorry not for the Six Nations for the autumn was um, was quite bizarre. He played a lot of rugby at fullback and not impressed, mm. and then subsequently did have that one magnificent game against the against the Stormers. Um, but I don't really see Gatland going going back to that well, so I don't know. I really don't know to be honest. I think he's just a bit too loose. Um, for, yeah, I think for Gatland, I, I think Costello's going to be careful because he could be a little bit on the loose side for Gatland. I just think he's got a little bit more to him structurally that Gatland mm. will probably think he can mould a little bit. But I think he'll definitely go bigger as as oh, yeah. as, as, as first choice, and I, right rightfully so in 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 fairness. But it's it's strange when you start asking questions like this. The lack of depth mm. is is concerning, and you know it's like you know. Scarlet, we go probably one outside half because as much um, as 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 much as I'd, I'd love to say I like Dan Jones, he's probably the worst outside half that's ever played regional rugby. And um, the fact that the Ospreys um, have signed Owen Williams, I was gutted because I just thought, mm. Do you know what, we need somebody. Because Patch, you know, I, I think Patch is world class, right? Yeah. But he can't play 80 minutes of rugby, and it's such a shame because he's he's a really nice guy. Even though he's a Cardiff lad, you know, I think he gets it as well in terms of club culture down west. Even though he's a Cardiff boy through and through, right? But he's one of the the wasted most waste of talent because of his injuries that Wales have seen in the last 20 years. So do you know what? There, there are so few options um, available. For, for Gatlin to choose from. So I, I think you're probably right in terms of those are the ones that are going to be in the I mix. Mean, maybe 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 it's a it's one of those where you'll go with you'll go with two for the squad mm. and, and that's it and just you know and just hope you can get two through it. because um, yeah otherwise I don't I don't really see a great deal a great deal else. And um I agree on Owen Williams. I think that's um I you know 
to be honest, I've not seen him play a huge amount of mm-hmm. rugby because he's you know when he was, he was in Japan, I didn't see him play a great deal for Worcester either. But hope you know, well, you will know what he's capable of when he when he plays. I thought it was a massive shame that he that he left the Scarlets first time round. You know, that yeah. felt like a like that was a real missed opportunity from from the club. But um, I think it's good to, it's good to see him back. But again, you know, you'll need to get a, a run of games to to even get the Ospreys the Ospreys shirt um, on his back. But yeah, you're right. It, it does kind of expose that that lack of depth. Because Owen Williams would be more in Gatlin's, I suppose, ilk. In terms of outside half, than many of the ones we've sort of like discussed tonight. So we'll we'll see what we'll see we'll see what happens. Again, a couple of wild cards. I've given you a couple of wild cards for centre. Yeah. I'll go for a wild card. Owen Williams to be the third outside half. There you maybe, go. That's, that's that's my other wild card for you. Every, anybody listening to this now, probably everybody listening to this will go. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? And I'm I'm probably wrong, but that'll be my wild card for you. Well, we haven't we haven't got that long to to find out actually. No, so that's it, true. It's not going to be it's not going uh, to be too far um too far in the future when he names that squad. Um, which I suppose just leaves um just leaves us with the dragons to to well, finish. Yeah. On. What was your take on the dragons? Uh, one, how mad is it watching a game of rugby at <laughs> a game of rugby at twenty to eleven on a Saturday morning, watching a, a Heineken Cup game of rugby? Uh, do you know what? It's a game that uh, it's a game that last season we would have got spanked in. Mm. Um, we'd have been absolutely spanked. Should have won it. Um, yeah, Sam Davis should be slotting that drop goal in front of um, in front of the sticks. I think, and I think he, you know, I think he'll he'll know that. I think he's a real confidence player, Sam Davis, and he was he was at a real low ebb last season. Um, I think in large parts not necessarily all down to his own doing. You know, I think when you were asked to play 80 minutes every single week of the, mm. the season, you know, behind a pack that's going backwards at a rate of knots, I think that takes its toll. And he, I think he just lost his confidence. He, you know, he seems a bit more reinvigorated this season. But that that was it. It was a little bit frustrating because it was a good opportunity to to do it. But if you'd have offered a draw and a bonus point, yeah. a try bonus point at the start of the, at the you know, way in South Africa at the start of the um, uh, at the start of the the fixture I think I'd have probably taken it but yeah they're, they're putting they're putting together you know we, we just look a much more competitive side we win if we win more collisions than we used to the um I was quite impressed with Chris Coleman scrummaging wise and you know he's, he's a young prop um although I think it's like five years since he made his debut he's still a young guy mm. um and uh, yeah it's we're just a lot more competitive than than we have been for for a very long time and it's just I said this before. I'm not expecting Di Flanagan to go out and win the the Challenge Cup or to you know to get into the playoffs. But it's about showing real meaningful progress. And we've started winning games at home, and we should have beaten the Sharks at home as well, yeah. um, which is encouraging. And largely speaking, we've cut out the spank, the, you know, the fifty point spankings that yeah. we have been administered in all the other seasons. And I think that just get you know people just. Want to see um, want to see some progress, um, and the one thing I will say as well is, um, you know, because again we we started the podcast talking about, you know, talking about um, how messy regional rugby has been at times. But what is you know what is great, and I've always said this, is that that side is packed full of Gwent boys, mm-hmm. you know, and and I just think with a bit of a bit of quality around them and quality imports around them, then you can build something that people will get behind and people will forget that, that you know, 20 years ago that it was too Newport for, for, for Gwent rugby fans. And it was too Gwent for Newport rugby fans. Um, cause that side is packed full of local lads. And if we can just get competitive, then get competitive and ideally play in a, some kind of meaningful competition. I think, you know, I think people would come back and, um, 
um, you know, and you'd, you'd start to see to see Rodney parade for the cathedral of rugby that it is. Has there been any change in the coaching setup? So obviously, I roasted the Scarlet Boys. Mm. Um, has there been any change since Di Flanagan took over? Because I, I haven't seen anything in terms of you know any coaches that have been brought in. It just feels like he's filled the I gap. I think it's the status quo, unless I've missed something. I think it's no, the status I quo, anything. and um, and you know, essentially, he's got the you know he's got the, the he is able to make those those calls. Whereas before, there was this weird kind of director of rugby setup. I mean, I've not even heard anything to say that Dean Ryan is not still employed by the dragon slash the union um so whether he's on gardening leave or what but exit stage left and it you know I, I well, think it's I worked doesn't it guys. yeah I, I spoke to um i spoke to an ex-dragons player um a couple of months back who just said that the, the atmosphere in the dressing room had gone completely yeah. poisonous and um and when it gets like that you know there's there's no coming back from it there is no coming back from it and and to be fair to Flanagan, there is there is something fresh. And again, you you know, I, I don't know what your thoughts were when he was in charge. Uh, you know, when he was, had a role at, at Scarlets, but he certainly he certainly brought um, you know an energy and a um, and I, I think a sense of belief amongst those set of players. You know, he's a much more modern coach than someone like Dean Ryan. You know, um, he, he brings. I think he's much more empathetic to the players and, and brings that degree of understanding rather than it be a dictatorship. If uh, Dean Ryan at the Dragons felt a little bit like, um, do you remember that Italian football coach? Was it Trapattoni who went mm, to Ireland? That's right, yeah, yeah? yeah. If if it felt a bit like that, the it just did not feel right at all. And I agree with you. What the Dragons need are fifteen Quent boys playing in that team, but they also need, you know, young Welsh coaches supporting mm. their supporting their development. And I think that's how you get the best out of the Dragons. Because the the days of Percy Montgomery or Gary no, Teichman gone. Are, are gone, and we've got to accept that. Uh, and those days will never come back to the Dragons. But that's fine. That's fine if you create something new that works, and you get the fan base behind them. And I th- I think Dave Flanagan could do is every time he speaks, I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, he, he he's a leader. I think he is. Yeah. Because you yeah. don't have to. Sh- you don't have to. Sh- he doesn't seem like a shouter. Um, Dean Ryan came across as quite patronising, I thought. And you could see him just shouting at people and making them feel as if they're rubbish. Whereas I think Di would probably build them up a bit like a Chris Coleman or somebody like that, you know, mm. in, from a football perspective. And I think that's what they need. And, you know, you've you've also taken, although you've got lots of Gwent players, you've you've taken some West Wales rejects. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying that with a smile on my face because you've got some people like Roger Williams, very oh, he good. Was, he, was magni- he was magnificent. Actually. Very good scrum half. And no, no Turk, no Turk would have wanted him to leave the Scarlets, you know. Um, George, Jordan Williams, he was a he, he was a fan favourite down 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 Llanelli. Rodri Jones, you've got Rob Evans now as well. Um, so you've got a sprinkling of um, West Wales gold dust. Um, uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you Roger Williams now. Jordan's struggled with injuries as he has kind of throughout his. Yeah, when he's had, he's had points where he's looked, you know, he's done those outrageous things that mm. that that we saw him do, you know, at under twenties level and at the start of his at the start of his career. Um, I just wonder whether those injuries are starting to, to catch up with him now. I hope not because he is, you know, he plays rugby the way I love to watch mm. it played. His first yeah. instinct is to step and jink and, and just, you know, go through a gap 
and um, and he does and play quite so. regularly, doesn't he? Because when who's, he's fit, yeah. yeah who's the, who's the second choice fullback? I can't remember now. So what? Um, so actually, this season it's been uh, well. Talk. Uh, he's a he's a Gwent boy, but um, but obviously he played out in West Wales for a couple of seasons. But Angus O'Brien has been first. Oh yes, of course. Yes, Anna's yes, been, yeah. And yeah. has been magnificent. Mm. Actually, he's been yeah. he's been really good. Um, and you know, just actually, I think you know has offered has offered a really strong. Um, footballing, yes. footballing games, good under the high ball, and his counter attacking has been a lot better than I remember it actually. So mm. I've been I've been so impressed with him. But um, but yeah, when when he's fit, you know, Jordan Williams is a is a fantastic player. Um, as for yeah, I mean, Rob Evans has barely featured so far, mm. which again, you know, I think was the problem in his last couple of seasons. Yeah, is he, is he never looked fit at the Scarlets? Um, and who else do you say? Roger Jones, who yeah, we we refer to on here as the concept um, because I think we kind of. Is the, the idea of Rodri Jones, like if it exists, is the best prop in the history of uh, in the history of, um, of of prop forwards. But it hasn't been seen for a little while. Do you know what? In fairness to the Dragons, right? With respect to the Dragons, you, you're at least playing him the right side of the scrum mm. because that whole you know number three shirt. He, well, he, he can't fill a number three shirt. He's the guy. He's tiny. You know, he's not a big person and I think that experiment at the Ospreys just didn't work and obviously that was tied into the Welsh Rugby Union contract mm. wasn't it and that didn't work so I think at least he's getting a new lease of life wearing the number one jersey I think that's probably a, a good thing um, for him but um, we never really saw the best of him um, and you're right maybe he is I don't a concept, think I don't but... think I don't think anyone has but yeah. we all, well I, I think you know the best we saw of him was at under 20s level mm. and everyone just thought if this guy can yeah. you know can put but it's it's a real hard ask on a on a you know on on front row forwards that step that step between youth rugby and and first team is you know and, and we're almost talking close to 10 years now as well so yeah. it's it's big, but you know again I you know it, it is some more depth to the squad you just hope now, though, to bring us back to where we started the show, that there isn't going to be a mass exodus of players who, um, you know, who are out of contract. And yeah, uh, yeah, we we wait to see what happens with that. But that pretty much brings us to a to a conclusion for this evening, Matt. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, what we should definitely do before the Six Nations is we'll we'll assemble the. Uh, the squad again and get you to do get you to do another quiz if you're up for it. <laughs> Why not? Let's do that. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd look forward to that. I can't remember who won last time as well. I hope it was me. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's been great to catch up with you. And, you too. Uh, uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, thanks for your patience with uh, with it coming out a day late again. And uh, yeah, thanks as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some great quality coffee, I think you can still get uh, it's still Christmas delivery. If you want to get your hands on some Christmas gifts as well, you can do that at SoCoffeeTrades.co.uk. And we'll be back to chat rugby with you next week. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.